Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, ladies. Hello. Hey, how are you? Well, I'm a little bit cold today because Colorado winter, but um, it's good to start this conversation off with you. And, you know, we talk a lot about classical education around here. And in fact, the entire purpose and mission of Cersei is to grow and deepen the practice and understanding of classical education. But when we say those words, classical education, what do we mean by that? Like, what does that mean? Um, the three of us, we classically homeschool or homeschooled our children. And we believe that this way of educating is a good path for all humans, whether you're a nine or 99. And everything we chat about on this podcast is seen through the lens of this classical education foundation. So as we were brainstorming our conversations, we thought it might be important to not only define what a classical education is or means and does, but also as homeschooling families, what does it look like to dwell in a classical education, to live in it? Um, so Renee, a question for you, because you, I mean, you, you're a trainer of classical teachers. So you've had a lot of experience just summing up what we're talking about and interacting with teachers and your own children. So when we say classical education, just defining, can you just start us off by maybe taking a minute or so to offer a historical summary or your understanding of where we've come from on this? Sure. Um, so classical education, I'm going to start by saying what it's not. It, it's easy to say, well, I educate classically because I use this brand of curriculum or I, I teach a certain subject. And I would say it's bigger than that. So let's not define it just by the brand that we use or the books that we use. Another thing that it's easy to try to shoehorn classical education into is this idea of ages and stages. Well, I teach classically because I recognize um, the, the pert stage, the, the poetic stage and so forth. Um, instead, I, I would say, let's look at a, a bigger picture, which is classical education is the cultivation of wisdom and virtue by nourishing the soul on truth, goodness, and beauty. And that sounds great. We would all love that. We would love that to be true of us and of our homeschools. So, so how do I do that? Or what does that mean um, historically? And, and what does that mean practically? 
classical education, I would say, goes back to obviously the classics, of the roots of Western civilization. So we look at the Greeks and the Romans and those historic texts and we learn from them. But even deeper than that, I would say it's logocentric in that we recognize that Christ is the unifying, the unifying truth, the unifying key that holds everything together in the world. So we have to start with him. So if we start with recognizing that, that God is the source of truth, goodness, and beauty, and that he created a world that works in a certain way, and so we want to understand what that world is, he also created human beings, and we want to understand what is the nature of a human being, and how can we educate human beings to become more fully human, to, be, to, to the point where we can say we're, we're flourishing. So as classical educators, we, we love old things. We love old books, old texts. Um, we, we love our history as, as members of Western civilization. We recognize that in the pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty, we guide our students by looking at great texts and great works of art and learning from them. And we also contemplate great ideas. And through things like Socratic discussions, we contemplate and learn from those great ideas. So um, that, that's in a nutshell, probably what you might say that, that classical education has given given fruit to. There, there are also a lot of other nuances and a lot of other, you know, roads we could travel as we talk about how to do this practically. We may even get to some of those in this particular podcast, but um, hopefully that gives us a little bit of a starting place. And it's, it is a really big conversation and it's a really old conversation. And we're not the first people to ask what is a classical education? Um, because it is thousands of years old and it's been discussed for all that time. And there's a lot of books, like long books, deep books, dense books that have been written on this. Um, and some really great ones that, you know, if anyone's interested, we're happy to recommend um, a few that may have been even written by people who are related to people on this podcast. There's a lot of resources out there if you want a long definition and an in-depth definition. Um, but as this is an old idea, and we are modern people and modern homeschoolers because we live in our own day and age, what does this what does this look like? What does this have to do with modern people? So, Karen, your family intentionally chose to classically educate your children. Why? Why did you choose that? And what did it look like? When David was a preschooler, and he's thirty four now, so when he was, you know, when I'm talking like thirty thirty one years ago, we were of course, looking ahead to his education. And I, and I was really, homeschooling was just taking off and it intrigued me. Um, but at the same time as that, Andrew was studying medieval um, education and came across this thing called the trivium and Socratic dialogue and, and such. And at the same time as that, he discovered Doug Wilson's book, um, came out about the same time, which which was about Dorothy Sayers' essay. It was called The Lost Tools, Recovering the Lost Tools. And so um, that all kind of happened at once to us. And as I looked into that and studied it and um, we were involved in starting school, the central ideas made so much sense. And at that time, we could only think about it in a caricature. So as Renee mentioned, we were looking at the stages of the trivium and thinking about how they correspond to um, the growth of a child and, and how much sense that made. Um, we love the emphasis on language and Latin and stories and the pursuit of excellence. And I think that as we dug in deeper, 
um, and still continue to dig in. The, the why we love it so much and the why as to, as to why this became our family's work is that it, it informed the soul and um, nourished the soul. And uh, we became convinced that education was much more than just choosing the right curriculum, but that it was caring for the whole person and nourishing. And as we pursued the true and the good and the beautiful, as we sought wisdom, and as we understood that learning could result in virtue, um, that was life-changing for us, and we just had to embrace it wholeheartedly. And as we realized that education really begins with an understanding that a child has a soul, um, that this education assumes that truth is knowable, that there is goodness that can be imitated and learned and um, nourished, that there's a standard for beauty that is transcendent. Um, it just became life-changing for us, and it really has set us on a path that, that will just be on for the rest of our lives. One of the lines that you just said that I, I, I glanced down in a couple notes that I had written on this, um, thinking about the same thing. Why did, why did my family choose to do this? What was our decision-making and to formally say, I'm going to classically educate my children? Because, you know, it does mean something. It does have some sort of connotation in our society. It does, does that mean your kids take a lot of Latin? It's got to mean they read Homer, um, something to do with Socratic discussion or Socrates or something like that. Um, and when we were in the decision-making of what are we, you know, you have these children, you're like, I have to do something with them. I have to educate them some way. And that line that you said of nourishing the soul from the perspective of a family that has decided to offer our children a faith education to say, our faith informs us who we are and what we believe that informs our education. Um, that was the idea that sparked this pursuit of classical education for, for us, that a classical education says being human means something. It matters that you were created. And because I am a modern homeschool mom in a modern world that says, no, there isn't any meaning. And I'm in education even formally, and I, I run a, a couple homeschool programs. And we have many students who are coming out of the public school system who are part of our program. And what I see happening is anxiety rates skyrocketing in teens, teen suicide skyrocketing. It's, it's crazy. These kids do not feel safe. They do not feel like there's any place for them to belong. And so much of that is that we have lost this connection with it means something to be human and it means something good. Like it is good that you were created. And that is the beauty and truth and goodness. We say those words just almost like offhandedly now, but that, like that is the embodiment of those words in our education to say, it matters that you're here. It matters that you are in your own family. And then the practical steps we take of that, sure, maybe some of that, I mean, we don't have to get into like why Latin informs that, but it does. How does language inform that? How does an understanding of the natural world inform that and create meaning in place that nourishes that child soul? But maybe this is what I love so much about classical homeschooling 
it does the same thing for me. It's doing the same thing for my soul as it is my children's soul in this. Um, so Renee, what did it, what, how was it embodied in your family? What did it look like to give your children a classical education? I remember, you know, at the time, my husband and I also discovering Dorothy Sayers, Doug Wilson, the idea of teaching Latin and logic. And uh, at that point on our homeschool journey, uh, it made a lot of sense that these were subjects that we wanted our kids to have. Um, and I will say, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a direct quote of Chesterton, but anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Um, and he also said we need more amateurs, people who just do it because they love it, um, not because they're necessarily any good at it. And I would definitely qualify as, as one of those people who loved the idea, but in the beginning, I know I was not very good at it. And, and we just made a lot of mistakes along the way, I'm sure. Um, I had five children with very different gifts, talents, and abilities, very different learning styles, very different place in our, in our life. You know, when my oldest was a senior in high school compared to where my youngest was a senior in high school, um, what our life looked like. So I, I would say for us in the beginning, classical education was kind of stumbling along and trying to find our way. At first, I did kind of fall into the trap that it was about subjects. And so we pursued certain subjects. And I'm glad we did. I mean, I'm glad the Lord took us, you know, from point A to B along that path. Um, for us, those subject Latin and logic and, and, and good literature were wonderful. But I also, um, I will confess, made the mistake of dropping those subjects when I thought it wasn't a good fit for a particular child. And I look back at now and I, I wish we had stuck with them a little more. Um, thankfully, um, the Lord has allowed me to stay in the education world even beyond, you know, the time when my own children were at home and to continue to work with other students and other teachers. And so I would say my, um, my understanding of classical education has definitely grown over the years, for which I'm very grateful. Um, and I'm starting, you know, have become to see it more, more as just a subject or an age and a stage. Um, and so, I mean, I have the privilege of seeing my grandchildren, you know, being ed educated, um, learning to contemplate and to love truth, goodness, and beauty in their home and to see their parents, um, you know, focus on that. So maybe that was a, a long answer <laughs> to a short question, but I, I would just encourage, you know, homeschool moms listening to this, if not to get discouraged by, by thinking it's a little box and if you can't check all the boxes, then you're not doing it right. I would say do what you can where you are and, and reach out and ask a lot of questions and, and you'll get there. So how do you make that? I This real question as a classical homeschool mom that has all of these kids still at home in school, how do you make those connections between, let's say the subjects? All right, here's the classical subjects of your Latin and your literature and your math and your, I don't know, you want to say astronomy if we're going to with the quadrivium or whatever. Um, get your geometry in there, make sure it's Euclid or whatever. Um, how do you make the connection between those formal subjects and this big idea of what we're talking about in that it's a human education, it's forming the soul, it's nourishing you. But on Monday morning, my child is going to be doing their geometry or Latin. Literally, my child is doing Latin on Monday mornings. So how do you make that for either of you? Like, how do you make those connections between this really big idea, philosophy, and what I'm actually doing? 
we always want to remember that anytime we learn a new skill or we learn an art or a science, there is going to be some beginning level um, things that need to be mastered. So if it's math, we have to learn our multiplication tables, we have to learn our, you know, geography proofs, we have to learn our Latin verbs. And, and that sometimes, you know, that looks like sitting down with paper and pencil in a textbook and, you know, cranking out the learning, learning those things, um, absorbing it into our minds, learning how to use it, learning how you know, it needs to become part of us, so that then we can turn around and use that and apply it later on down the road. Um, but as, as teachers and moms, we also want to be able to um, take advantage of those times where we have those discussions and we can start connecting ideas, right? And, and all the, the paper and pencil time and, and some of the rote learning and so forth, it's all, you know, it's all food and it's all fertilizer and it's gonna come out when you give the kids a chance to start thinking and making those connections, but they need time, right? They need the time when you sit there over the dinner table or the breakfast table and talk about what you've been reading or what you've been reading in your Bible or what you've been learning in history and you give the kids a chance to start putting those ideas together. And, and I think that doing this at home gives such benefit because you have years. You know, if you're, when I, I taught third grade for a long time and I knew that I only had those kids from um, August to May, and yet I knew that they were taking nuggets with them into the next grades, but I might not get to see the fruit of that you know, when, when a light bulb went on later and they remembered something that they learned with me. But when you're homeschooling in the years that we homeschooled, and for us, every year looked different. Some years we homeschooled everybody. Some years we just homeschooled one. Or some years they did some classes at school, but, you know, math and science at school and literature, Latin, history at home. So, um, but, but on the whole, I would say that because you get to be with your children for life. It's not just school. This is life. We're together on Saturdays and Sundays in the evenings and we're together when we're camping or we're together when we're sitting around the table all doing math. Because we're all together, then we can, then that can become the culture of our home and we can look back on things and have discussions on things that happened in the past where light bulbs go on or, or they, they remember things. Do you know what I mean? It's not like Oh, we can only talk about this right now because I only have you for twenty for, for an hour today. But and isn't the um, and, and every good? I was just going to add too that we talk about virtue, and virtue is learned when a child tackles a hard math problem. You know, they're not just getting that math problem done so that they can close the book and then or or write the test and get the grade. But when we when we can sit with them and and walk them through a difficult task, a difficult paper to write, or difficult math problem, or something that they find really hard, or a difficult song on the piano, that virtue is being learned in that, those hard times. And so it's just as beneficial to, to, to sit with them while they struggle as it is to sit together and have an amazing conversation. No one thing isn't better than the other. It's all part of living together. And I would add truth, goodness, and beauty is not something that all of a sudden you turn on when they get to be ninth grade and they can, you know, conjugate Latin verbs and all of a sudden they're capable of discussing, you know, da Vinci versus, um, you know, another artist. But let me give you a couple of ideas that even with, with little kids, um, 
you know, when you, your, your small child, your little three or four year old learns that when mommy says yes, it means yes. And when mommy says no, it means no. That's truth, right? Um, when we learn please and thank you and how to have good manners and how to treat people kindly, that's goodness. And when we go outside in the world God made and we look at grass and bugs and butterflies, that's beauty, right? So it, it starts when they're very young and, and we just build on that. And like Karen said, it's a joy because we are with them this whole time. And maybe it's the everydayness of this education that holds a lot in our, in our modern day, holds a lot of the, like maybe I'll even say power to this way of educating. Um, as I, I mentioned to uh, the two of you a little ways back of how it's a funny thing to think when you think about classical education and where it came from and you think of like Aristotle and Socrates and you know the great philosophers and how it, it might be a little amusing to them to see these homeschool moms who have taken up the torch of their work, right? I mean, we're the ones who are carrying this torch for classical education here. Um, and it does begin in just the everyday things. And I, I was thinking about the other day, my kids are in this, um, they're in this homeschool co-op program. And um, some of you might listen to uh, Close Reads. And so Heidi White is a teacher at this, uh, at my program. And so she's teaching my uh, 10th grader uh, humanities and they're reading Plato right now. And I was in the kitchen making bread and which that sounds very domestic. That happens once in a while. So I was in the kitchen making bread and he comes in. He's like, oh, I'm supposed to have a discussion with you. It's part of the assignment, right? It's, uh, on what is justice. And so we get in this discussion of what is justice and you know, what is, what is Socrates saying here? And then my, uh, my eighth grade daughter just wanders in because she's kind of intrigued by what we're talking about and joins in. And then like next thing I know, like my sixth grader is my girl is leaning on the counter, listening in to this discussion on Plato. And I just had this moment thinking, this is, this is what classical education is. Mm -hmm. This is the discussions that we have. And, you know, my sixth grader didn't have a lot to add to the discussion, but she had a lot to listen to. And she'll be in 10th grade in a few years. And just, just thinking those are the practices of almost this holistic, organic um, homeschooling of it is, it is in the conversations, but it is also, there is a formal side to this as well in that these are the texts we, we read. These are the discussions that we hope to have. And you have to intentionally say, we're gonna talk about this. And they're hard things. So you do have to like, choose to talk about hard things. But as Renee said, that begins with conversations with your toddlers about what is right and wrong. And toddlers and you know early elementary age kids they have very strong opinions on what is right and wrong. And that should, that should be fostered. That was, that's part of their creation. So kind of to follow on with that, um, I think particularly with this group of homeschool moms, I think this is an important conversation that I would love to hear from you um, on. We often hear, I follow Charlotte Mason. I'm a Charlotte Mason homeschooler. Or, oh, well, I'm a classical educator. And there seems to be almost like these two camps. So I'd love to hear from you 
for the, because I know you guys have strains of Charlotte Mason and strains of classical education in how you educated your kids. What is the difference between those and what did that look like? Hmm. I would say there's maybe more than just two camps. <laughs> being human beings, we probably like to, to, to divide into all kinds of tribes and allegiances. But um, I, I think if we keep the main thing, the main thing, which is I want my children to become wise and virtuous and I want to nourish them on truth and goodness and beauty then I can I can learn a lot from people who might do it differently than I may do it. And I can evaluate my choices and my options based on, is this furthering my goal as a homeschool mom? Any thoughts on that, Karen, between Charlotte Mason and classical education? Well, I love, I love the ideas of Charlotte Mason um, for... And, and I don't want to cut, I don't want to mistakenly categorize these as older and younger, but I love the Charlotte Mason ideas for the youngers that I don't think that we need to um, be. And, and this is one of the complaints I've heard about classical education is that it's too rigorous or it's, um, it, it's uh, too hard um, that we have to do Latin so young. I mean, none of that is true, but, um, I think that Charlotte Mason offers a very holistic and gentle way of jumping in to the rigors of classical education in just a slower, more contemplative way. Um, I love her emphasis on being outside. For example, I love her emphasis on short lessons. That just makes so much sense. Like at home, you can work on math with your first grader for 15 minutes and accomplish what it might take a teacher at school with 20 kids an hour to do. And so if we can take some of Charlotte's um, principles and her ideas in her books and, and just about who children are, the role of the parent. There's, she has so, so, so much to offer, but I don't, I don't think it needs to be an either or thing. I think we can blend the two beautifully um, as it, as it um, serves our family. Well, and I think the truth is Charlotte Mason, classically educated kids. Right. So I don't see there's really any distinction between Charlotte Mason education and classical education in that that was the way that she was educating them because the principles and ideas of classical education is this becoming fully human, which that's one of our principles is children are born persons and they're not, they're not a blank slate. They're not an empty bucket. Like they are born as completely well, I won't say completely human in that if we're reaching towards something, but they are as human as you and I are. They are as human as an 80-year-old is, and we are all on this pursuing path of becoming. And that's, I mean, even the word education coming from Latin educare, which means to draw up or to lead out. So I've from the time my kids were little bitty, I would say, oh yeah, I, I, I use the Charlotte Mason, you know, method or principles. And I think as my children have grown and as you said, like some of the difference between little people and big people realizing there's not a huge distinction at all between a Charlotte Mason education and a classical education. And actually 
many of these other camps as well, whether it's, um, you know, I'm a wild and free educator or I'm an unschooler. I think so many, like so much of the ideal and hopes and principles that are in these way, in this way of educating um, are these ideas of a truly human education. Um, so we actually only have a couple minutes left here, but as we wrap up, is there anything that, are there any like resources that were so helpful for you when you were homeschooling that you would love to pass on or how you saw classical education fit into just the big picture of your family and a life well lived that you'd love to just wrap us up with? Um, Karen, do you have any ideas? Yeah, get your hands on, on stories, fairy tales, fables, beautiful stories, poetry. There's, you, we don't need to spend a lot of money. We need really great stories, poetry, the Bible, and we need history. And history can be told in stories. We need math. And I, I, I think that there, I don't have any particular, well, we used raised arithmetic when my children were very young. That's that's not user-friendly, and I can't really recommend it, even though it's, you know, I, I, I cried a lot trying to teach that. Um, but, you know, there are so many resources out there, way more than when my kids were little. And, um, and they're not hard to find. They're not hard to get your hands on. But sometimes we have to, in, instead of looking for things, our task is to whittle stuff out. Because so much stuff comes to us and we go to those curriculum and we buy way too much. And we, and we can just pair back and say, what are the skills that my child needs to learn this year? And, and how, what content can we use to teach those things? What are the ideas that we need to be talking about? And we can, I think our struggle is to make things more simple rather than to find lots of resources. Um, but I have a funny story to tell just for a second, if I can. Um, so, you know, my husband started the Lost Tools of Writing and it's become a whole curriculum. We have, I think we're up to like four volumes now. And um, my kids cut their teeth on this stuff. And um, when our youngest was in high school and he was having to do Lost Tools, um, his tutor, because I didn't teach it to him, somebody else did, his, I would get emails saying, Andrew hasn't turned in his essay yet, and I'd have to get on him. And this was a regular thing. So now he teaches at a classical charter school in Florida, and he is teaching the Lost Tools of Writing. And so this fall, I got this long text from him saying, wow, this curriculum is amazing. How did dad come up with this? This is amazing. And I just laughed so hard, and I said, you know, you you did study this. You did learn to write from this. But it wasn't until he then had to turn around and teach middle schoolers um, how to think and how to do logic that he chose to use the lost tools of writing and has been blown away by it. And not, and I'm, I'm not just here to advertise lost tools, but just to say that, you know, it might take years to bear the fruit and it might not be until that child is teaching that that they really bear the fruit so yeah, maybe that just actually goes to show that an education is a lifelong endeavor which is yeah. why we're still here and why we're still teaching yeah and why we're still reading books and um just pursuing that pursuing this path and this journey um well thank you ladies um we will jump on next time but until then here's to home
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.